Serving up the strategies you need to build, market and monetize a profitable, future-proof business around your expertise. This is the Youpreneur Podcast. And here's your host, international business mentor and best-selling author, Chris Ducker. Hey everybody, welcome to episode number 489 of the Youpreneur Podcast. Thank you very much for tuning in with me as always. Hey, halfway through April. How are you guys doing? Here we are. We're at the beginning of quarter two of 2023. How's your year shaping up so far? I'd love to know. Hit me up on Instagram at Chris Ducker. Send me a DM just to let me know you're tuning in. Let me know what you thought of this show or any other show for that matter, if you've been listening in for a while. And um, I'd just love to check in with you, plain and simple. So that's Instagram at Chris Ducker. Today on the show, we've got speaker and author Mark LaRouste on the show. Uh, We're talking all about his new book, Glow in the Dark, but actually not so much about the content inside the book, but more so the journey of getting it out into the world. And uh, what started out as a relatively easygoing conversation about just book publishing in general, um, well, it became quite transformational, I think is probably the right word. Um, Very much, uh, you know, transparent and honest for both uh, Mark's side as well as my own as well. We share some war stories of traditional publishing uh, and we talk a little bit about how some of those, not all of them, but some of them can be avoided if we self-publish as business authors as well. Um, I don't know about you, but I read a lot of books and I can honestly say to you that I feel like reading is one of the best ways to be able to level up yourself, level up your expertise, level up your knowledge Uh, of life and business and people and relationships in general. But I mean, it's just tough. It's really hard to get a book out into the world when you're in the shoes of the author. So enjoy this conversation uh, with myself and Mark talking all about the ins and outs of the publishing industry, but also why it's important. And yes, we do get onto the subject of the book in the last sort of 15 minutes or so of the show, why it's important as to why we should be sharing our personal stories behind the work that we do, not only to be able to attract the right type of people into our ecosystem, but also to be able to set ourselves up for some really strong success. I know you're going to love the conversation with me and Mark. Here we go. Youpreneur FM, your number one personal brand business podcast. So Mark, welcome to the Youpreneur Show. Thank you very much for having me. Really appreciate it. I don't think I've ever said, I don't think I've ever sung the word show before on the show. (laughs) I think I'm going to do it every time now. Uh, Dude, so happy to speak with you. Uh, You gave me uh, a copy of your new book, Glow in the Dark, uh, with a very nice, um, with a very nice card. Uh, I've been, there's almost 500 episodes of this show published now. And the only episodes that have got the words, or you know, that you get like the little explicit lyric sign yeah. on a show with swear words in it. Uh, the only ones that um, have ever had that in there, funny enough, were with Gary Vaynerchuk uh, when he's been on the show. I think four or five times he's been on the show. And yeah. um, it's the only time. So Gary, you know, I love you if you're listening in, but I'm not going to read out the front of this card, but I will hold it up just in case we end up sharing this video. Um, But yeah, there was a swear word on the card. It got my attention, but then the book itself got my attention even more. Dude, this is like being a bit of a whirlwind for you. We'll get into like the book, the message, Mm. the learnings, the stories, and all the goodness about the book, like maybe towards the second half of this conversation. But like, talk me through, there are a lot of people who listen to the Mm. Youpreneur podcast who are either a 
planning on publishing a book very, very soon or B, have already done it and they're kind of like, you know, they want to breathe new life into it. They want to sell more copies. They want to utilize it for lead gen, et cetera, et cetera. You've like been through it a little bit with this launch, right? So yes. let's kind of keep it real. Yes. Uh, right. And like, how are you feeling now after yeah. a couple of months of it being out? Yeah, good. Actually, we were just talking about it offline um, before we press the magical record button. But so the book came out officially in the UK on the 8th of December, 2022. The official launch in the US and the rest of the world is April 20 something, mm -hmm. um, 2023. So it's fresh. So I'm, I'm super happy to talk about any aspect that you think might be valuable for people listening. Um, but yeah, it's been one hell of a ride is what I will say. Um, I think I was quite fortunate to have access to to people who had published quite big books, big platforms. And so I'd ask them about like, what's it like to launch a, a real like traditional published book versus like I did a self-published book back in 2014 and my ego wanted to tick the box of saying, I've got a traditional publishing deal. You know, like I, right. I just wanted to do it because I, I can have a whole conversation about people asking themselves, should I try and get a traditional publishing deal or should I self-publish or do a hybrid model? Mm -hmm. Super happy to talk about that if you think it's helpful. But anyway, so I get a traditional book deal with Hachette UK, which is one of the top kind of publishers for one of their imprints, the business one called John Marie Learning. And um, everyone tells you this. Uh, everyone tells you, in, and you include them, say, it's going to be one big mark. Like, forget about writing the book. That's just not even half the journey. Yeah, it's like the other. easy bit. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's, <laughs> I need, I, but you don't believe it because as you're going through the trenches trying to pull, pull this book out of it, it's like pulling teeth, right? You're getting this book out. And then you're going to start marketing. Then you're going to become your, you know, your one-stop PR shop, your publicist, your marketeer, your social media strategist. Like all of this kind of stuff falls on your shoulders, really, to try and get it out there. But it was super exciting to kind of think about put back my old hack because I used to be a country manager at the Movember Foundation, where I launched the foundation in, in France. For those who are like the Movember, what? It was the foundation that it is the foundation that gets men to grow mustaches in November. Yep. Um, basically looking like Freddie Mercury lookalikes for a month for prostate cancer, testicular cancer. And we had to be really creative because we had very small budgets and very big ambitions. And you know, that's how was, me and my team were able to raise 2.8 million euros for men's health. And so I just try to get creative. Um, and yeah, I had a good good time. It was a bit mad. And I don't know if you've got a specific question you want to ask about that process, but I'd love to share whatever I can with you. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, okay. So when the book, had, obviously, I mean, launching the book in December is tough yeah. anyway. Yeah. I've spoken to so many people on this subject because obviously you are dealing with, you know, if you're going after, and some people launch a book and they don't care about bestseller status. They just want to get their book out into the world. But if you are going after a bestseller list, it's tough. Christmas is hard. You've got all the, particularly in the nonfiction, you know, section, you've got all the cookbooks, you've got Guinness World Records, you know, all that stuff, right? It's a nightmare, right? Yeah. So I'm assuming heavily you weren't really all that worried about the bestseller, um, well, moment, right? But obviously funny, it's, it's funny, nice funny, to have. Yeah, funny you mentioned that, Chris. No, funny you mentioned that. So um, again, full transparency, you know, I, I remember when we connected on a podcast, I really appreciate like, the candid conversation we have. So I'm going to be real and 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 true here. So originally the book was meant to come out in September. Um, ah. But as everyone who's ever done a traditional book deal will know, traditional public publishing is a slow train to say the least. And that's putting it politely. So everything just got delayed and delayed and delayed. And I was kind of getting stressed and worried about, and it got pushed to October. And then, you know, before you know it, we're now into December. I said, are you sure about, this December date, because everyone I know in the industry just told me that like, it's really tough. And I wanted to go for a Sunday Times bestseller. That was, ah, like, okay. that was like the goal, right? 
What's and the so, numbers on that? I mean, I mean if you've yeah, looked into yeah, yeah, yeah. it, I've, I've never really been all that worried about the okay. UK market, like per se. Sure. But what what are the numbers for those tuning in that are UK yeah. based that would like to go after that? What are we looking at to hit that list? Yeah. So there's a mix of information that I found. And also I'm going to share some information from my friend Lucy Werner, the founder of the Wern PR agency. She did a great podcast talking about this. But basically the way it works is that, and you've probably seen authors push for like pre-orders. Yeah. So the way that it works in the UK is that they will count, it's called the Nielsen kind of book sales number, yep. something like that. So they count it from the Thursday because most book launches on Thursday and they'll count Thursday, Friday, Saturday sales, plus everything that you managed to pre-sell before that date. So, so they only give you three days of actual well, public selling. You get public selling, but right. keep in mind that, you know, look at the likes of Donald Miller, right? Like when they've got a new book coming out, they started... Like Donald Miller's book, I think, is coming out in March, and he started promoting it in November, oh, right? Yeah, like yeah, yeah. pushing out like in terms of bonuses and pre-courses, like you just because all those numbers will count once the book is released. But here's right. the caveat that Lucy taught me, which I didn't realize and what screwed me, is that in order for the numbers of the pre-orders to count, the books need to be shipped within those three days. I'll say that again. You can sell 2,000, 3,000, 4,000 copies of your book or whatever, right? 500 copies of your book before publication day on the Thursday. If those books, for whatever reason, don't get shipped by Amazon or some retailers within those three days, they don't count towards your, your bestsellers list. Wow. And that's what screws up a lot of authors because I've had issues, Lucy's had issues, sometimes distributors just aren't ready or publishers haven't had the right communication with distributors. And so the reason why I'm saying all this is when I had this in mind, I was like, I'm going to go for a Sunday Times bestsellers. I looked into it. Now, take this with a pinch of salt, but it really depends on which week you come out, right? So let's say you come out on a week that just so happens to have the equivalent of Atomic Habits and a couple more. It's it's going to be challenging. Oh, yeah, to make yeah. it. The, the, the threshold that you're going to go for is, is higher. But really, if you aim for a couple of thousand books, it doesn't sound like a book. It is, it is a decent amount of books that you've got, to, you've got to push. But if you can get about a couple thousand books both in pre-sales and in those three days, you got a good chance of hitting that bestsellers list. Mm. But here's the other caveat. It doesn't have to be on launch week. You can actually become a bestsellers list on month two, three, four, five. Oh, yeah, no, at any point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And exactly. it's the same in the United States. I mean, but that is yeah. like, that is much, much smaller than what's required to hit, say, Wall Street Journal or New York Times. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Wall Street Journal, yeah. I understand that this particular moment in time is probably, you know, to like to hit a list uh, unless it's the ebook list, which is yeah. about 3,000 copies. But I mean, to hit like paperback uh, slash hardback, you're looking at about 7,500 copies Yeah, uh, for surprising. Wall Street Journal. And then for mm. New York Times, I mean, it's like a law run to itself. Yeah. Like, I mean, you, you're going anything between, you know, eight to 20,000. Yeah. Uh, but that doesn't even mean that they're going to say, oh, yeah, we like Mark's book. No. Let's give him that option kind yeah, yeah, of thing, yeah. right? Like, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. it's really, um, it, yeah, you, no, nobody I, can really you. control that one. I'm with you 100%. And just, again, like, you could come out that weekend, it's 4,000, but here's the other catch. Even if you go to a, a decent community, like, I've got an, an okay community, like, size, like, you know, we've got a really active kind of uh, a group of people. There's a few issues, fundamentally, with the traditional publishing. One of them is, if you order on Amazon, you can really just order 30 books. Um, the second thing is if you can find it, like, for example, you, I, I was going to give a speaking gig, right. At an event. And I said, look, if you buy 500 books, I'll do my speaking fee for this much. Like you can start trying to find deals that way, Yeah. but it then gets complicated on the back end. It's really weird and archaic. Like you've got to then find independent publishers who are willing to put an order through at a disc. I mean, it gets, 
no, no. I, I mean, sell, selling. From what I understand, one of my good friends, Rory Vaden, is involved with a lot of um, book distribution launches yeah. and whatnot over in the United States. And he tells me, you know, it's all very well to sell the five hundred copies in bulk, yeah. but then those five hundred copies need to be fundamentally sent out in an individual fashion yeah. for that number to be counted, which is it's something really mad weird. If you think I about know, it, right? It's, yeah. It's, Especially yeah. us, I think everybody listening to this is going to have an entrepreneurial mindset, and oh yeah, that's why I would say ninety nine point nine percent of the time it makes total sense to self publish or do a hybrid model, not to do a traditional publishing, not for what sure. we do, not for the platforms that we kind of. This is my this is my personal opinion, right? And everyone's allowed to have their own, but the reason being is when you self publish or you go for the hybrid model, i.e., you pay a professional publishing company to do your book for you, you retain. All the rights of your book, you retain yep. complete creative freedom. You can put whatever you want in your book, on your book. You can you can order as many volumes of books as you want. You just you can give away your book for free as a lead magnet. There's so much more you can do. But I'm just really glad I went through the process so I could learn from it, and I'm proud mm -hmm. of the book mm -hmm. that we came out. But I just want to say something, if that's okay, about the launch, um, which I think people might might find funny. But I, as I told you before, we jumped on. I think it was like the best of launches and the worst of launches. So. Three weeks before publication day, I still didn't have a book cover finalized. I still didn't have an inside book finished. And I was panicking, right? I was telling the publisher, I was like, we're running against the deadline. Like, how are we going to pull this through? There were still things that we've got to try to get approval. We're still negotiating back and forth between bits. Eventually, we get the publication date, 8th of December, 2022. And I've got less than three weeks to promote it. So I know that the Sunday, tele Sunday Times Telegraph ain't happening. Like, the, the Sunday Times right. it's not going to happen in that time frame, right? So I go, right, I'm going to try and go for an Amazon number one bestseller, but I'm not going to try and go for some subdued category, right? Like left-handed knitted entrepreneurs or something <laughs> random. And I'm, and I'm not going to discount my book because it's a traditional publishing deal, so you can't. But B, I wanted to make sure that people who bought it were going to read it because they were more likely to share it, right, mm -hmm. and recommend it. So anyway, so I go with this attention and I go hard. And I read, for people geeking out on this, I read somewhere in like some kind of subreddit thread somewhere that the way that Amazon's algorithm works is in brackets of four hours. Yes, correct. Yeah. The midnight to four, four to eight, eight to 12, right? It kind of counts how many book sales you have in that amount of time. And then it aggregates the sales over 24 hours. Okay. So if you want to become an Amazon number one bestseller, you've got a chance if you can get enough people to buy the book within a certain amount of time. And so my idea was like, right, well, I'm going to become at least an Amazon number one bestseller. And I'm going to get, I'm going to get everybody to hit hard Amazon between this time and this time, right? I start blasting my email list, my newsletters, my friends, WhatsApp, DMing people. We come Thursday the 8th. I wake up. I'm stoked. I'm excited. It's a big day. I've done a book. You know, you can put in the show notes if you've got some, but I did like a book trailer because I always fantasize. Like I love movies and trailers. So I did like this book trailer. It's like, roll down. Like, you know, this kind of voiceover of like me reading books. I've watched the trailer. It's a great book trailer, actually. Oh, I've, seen, I've seen a lot of book trailers and I liked it. And what I, what I thought was, was, was very, very good was the B-roll footage that you shot while you're talking over it. Mm. Um, there was a couple of times, like you said the word scary and there was some like graffiti on a wall that yeah. said the word scary, that yeah. kind of like your editor knows what yeah. he's doing clearly, you know, yeah. that's very, very swift and very cool looking. I appreciate that. Thanks for watching it. So yeah. So, so we did all these things that I came up with campaigns, blah, blah, blah. I wake up at my PJs and at my table, just caveat that very evening, we we're going to do the official book launch with a bunch of friends and colleagues and peers and journalists in London. There's a big event organized in Angel. I'm sitting at my table and 
orders start coming in. My publisher saying, hey, we're getting some good traction. Numbers are coming in, looking good. People are messaging me, got the book, excited. I'm like, yeah, great. And I put in bonuses, right? If you ordered zero to nine, you got a bonus, 10 to 20, no, 20 to 30 and plus. So we get to about 10, yeah, 11 o'clock. And I'm just going like, this is great. I'm, I'm hustling, I'm pushing, I'm calling, I'm calling. 11.30, 11.32, I get a message DM by Gemma. <laughs> she actually goes, like, there seems to be a problem. I can't, I can't, like, first of all, no, first of all, sorry, I, it's out of stock. The book's out of stock. Now, I'll be honest. The reason why it's out of stock is not just because the book was a great success or whatever. It's Amazon don't order a lot of stock to start off with, right? No, if it's don't. the first time author, they're not going to order thousands of books. They're going to try out a few hundred. If it sells, they'll restock, right? So the out of stock wasn't the issue for me. What happened is, number one, they started saying they could restock only in April 2023. So that was number one. Number two, I start getting messages, left, right, and center, people saying, I can't order the book. I'm like, what are you talking about? You can't order the book. Not even pre-order the book. I go on Amazon, and the button to add to your basket was disabled. I freak out. This is 12 o'clock. I start calling my publisher, sending messages. They're going back. They said, we've never seen this before. We don't know what's going on. The numbers were flying. Blah, 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 blah. Long story short, I'm still in my pajamas at four o'clock trying to figure this problem out. Turns out, let's be honest, you, you have no problems being in your pajamas until. Uh, <laughs> well, my wife was just like, "You're supposed to be in the event in one hour. What are you doing?" <laughs> and, I'm, and, and I'm just like, and here's this what here, but here's a crazy thing that happened because we hit Amazon so hard during that branch there in the period of time. Amazon thought that everyone were bots, and so it crashed my page. It stopped the orders. And so we missed number one Amazon. We did number we did number top ten in three different categories oh, in entrepreneurship man. and all this stuff. But can you imagine how much? I well, was that that will teach you to do a good marketing job, won't it? <laughs> yeah. But I and I told my publisher, I was like, "How did you guys not?" Or like, I always believe in take two percent responsibility, right? Minimum. Sure. Two percent responsible for what happened. And what I should have done with retrospect is told my publisher and say, "Hey, just so you know, I'm going to put my marketing hat on for this, and we're going to we're going to smash Amazon on launch day. So please make sure that they're a aware and b you've got stock." Yeah. So yeah. anyway, that yeah. was it. So then it was, but then, but then, then I, twi- I I twisted it to saying the book that broke the internet, and I was like the whole PR campaign I built on that. We got an article right. in Forbes that came out that was really exciting. The next day, so I was able to leverage it, but I was fuming. Um, but by the time we got to the launch party, I was able to look online, and we made it top ten in three categories. There you go. Great. Okay. So that is a successful book launch. What's interesting here, and we should caveat this by saying that if this book had been self-published through KDP, which is Amazon's publishing imprint, Mm. then they would have been printing these books on demand and therefore the whole it sold out thing never would have happened. Mm. Right? So that it's important to mention that, I think, as well, yeah. because this is yeah. one thing, particularly for first-time authors who don't have the clout behind them of selling X amount of books mm. already, uh, particularly via, you know, not, not necessary, but particularly via a, a traditional publisher, mm. uh, for them to avoid this sort of type of thing and say, well, yeah, yeah, it's great to get a traditional publishing deal, but, you know, I think I'll self-publish this first one and see what happens there kind of thing. Yeah. You know, it's this is interesting. When we started this conversation, I thought we might go in a few different directions, but this is about as real deal of a discussion, I think, when it comes to publishing and 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 the art of publishing books as we probably had on the show for a long, 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 long time. So I appreciate you being so candid and upfront with it all. Um, 
it's interesting. I, I, so my, my agent, I'm curious to know your thought process on this. My agent in New York is with Folio. This is a mm. big agency firm, you know, Ed Myatt and Amy Porterfield and you know, a whole bunch of people that everybody that listens to this show knows but with, with Folio as well. He is currently shopping my third book, my mm. proposal currently. Mm. And the industry in the United States, now understand, I have sold hundreds of thousands of books, mm. one traditional, one self-published, right? Mm. And even my self-published one has done very, very, very well. Mm. We are getting resistance currently mm. from publishers in the United States, even with my track record of eight years of selling books, mm. where they're saying, you haven't sold enough books. And I'm like, okay. 97% of all nonfiction books sell less than a thousand copies yeah, in their that. entire life. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. Virtual freedom. My yeah. first book sold 150,000 copies in eight different languages. Mm. And you're saying that's still not enough book. That's bonkers. That's yeah. mad. Mm. Uh, and we don't even bring rise of the Youpreneur in, in, into the, yeah. you know, into the discussion at that point. What's your take on, like, now that you've gone through this, what is your take on the publishing world as a whole, as somebody who's just got his first traditional book out? What, what, what are your feelings on it? Okay. So I'm going to answer that question in a second. Before I say that, as you're saying that something came up for me is I think people listening to this, isn't this my friend, Daniel Priestley, who kind of talks about this, but I think there's a big difference between what traditional publishers are looking for and what we as entrepreneurs most likely are looking for. So there's a conflict of interest, and I'll tell you a specific example in a second. Okay. Well, the reason why I'm saying this is that traditional publishing are in the business of selling books. We should be in the business of book selling us. Mm. Yeah? Yep. So traditional publishers want to sell volume. As an entrepreneur and a business owner and business leader, your preoccupation shouldn't be about volume unless you really want to hit like a New York Times, Solid Times, Wall Street, whatever journal. You should be in the business of making sure that the business, the book is selling you. Yes. Right. Because I can tell you, like, people laugh. And I was jamming with this about Lucy, but I always have a book on me. Right. I go to this kind of really nice gym uh, in London. So I'm often meeting like these very interesting characters. And, and um, I bumped into an LSE professor there. And we're having a chat. And I was like, oh, I'd love to come and give a lecture at LSE. He's like, oh, that'd be great. It's like, hey, here's a copy of my book. So it's $14.99 if you're going to buy on Amazon. I get it at 50% retail, right price. It's about, what, £8, something like that. That's an £8 sales technique that is then going to go and do its job, and hopefully someone reading that can follow up on LinkedIn, et cetera. The reason why I say this is you've um, Tucker Max told me this, and it took me a while to get this, but the only reason why you would go for a traditional publishing deal, if you don't have a massive platform or you don't have big ambitions to be distributed around the world, tends to come from ego and validation if I'm being real, right? It kind of says, validate my idea, prove that I'm worthy of something by giving me a book deal. Number two, one, number two is I can then tell people that I've got this book deal. And there are some very financial specifics that are actually, since I got a traditional book deal, I double my speaker fees. That's a reality, right? 100% since I've become a book deal. And I, when I negotiate now, as I say, as a best-selling published author, yep. That has increased my speaker fees, no doubt about it. It's given me a, a huge leverage in terms of clout when it comes down to meeting people 100%. But for the vast majority of people listening to this, you'd be better off getting a book that's going to be a great marketing sales tool for you than you would to spend all that time and energy to do a book a book proposal, shop it around, find someone, because they're going to shape your book in a completely different direction that you want to have it. 
They're going to tell you, come up with a specific says, hey, do you want to get in touch and find out more about my services? Email me at, yeah, you can't really put that in some traditional book deals, right? You can't, you're not going to have creative freedom over your book cover, blah, blah, blah. I can go on for a long list. I wanted to, I wanted to say that. Now, let me give you a specific example of what I think entrepreneurs, business leaders, when you go down the route of traditional publishing, where you will find some frustration. So I'll give you an example. At some point during the process, you will get some book covers. And I will caveat this by saying that I'm part of a ma- small mastermind group of some prolific authors who've got some good traction in some of the books, some less so, but we all kind of like the small group of authors. So we share each other's inside secrets and traditional publishers, right? Tra- traditional publishing deals. And we all experience the same pain points. So it's my experience. I don't know, Chris, this is going to be the same for you, but this is also a shit experience I've heard from others. So at one point in the process, you're going to have to come up with a book cover. I'm just going to use this one example to sure. illustrate your question. Yep. And so typically what will happen is in your contract, you will sign off the rights to your book cover that the publisher gets to choose. You should get some input somehow, but really it's going to be up to them and then you might not have to argue, et cetera. I was under the impression that at some point I was going to get a brief or I was going to sit down with the designer to talk about the book, the content, the idea, so they can then go and create some assets, come back and we can input. That was like my idea of what was going to happen. I get one design. I know two designs, I think. Like months in, and I'm like, okay, great. Are these like the only designs? Because I'm not really feeling these. They they look like something I could have done on WordPress. Like I'm exaggerating, but it was it's not too far off. And they're like, no, our, our marketing team thinks these are good, blah, 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 blah. I'm like, I got really upset, like behind the scenes. I was like, but this isn't a representation of my brand. Like this won't work. I go out of my own way and I go on 99design. Uh, thanks to the uh, great advice from Jody Cook author of the 10-year career. And, and she says, do a campaign, like a like a creative campaign to get book designs, right? So I, I, I do this competitive design thing and I get loads of submissions for Glow in the Dark. And some of them were like really good. I get about, let's say, we're going to say 60 designs, right? Half of rubbish, like 25% are really good and 25% have got potential. Yep. I then take those who've got potential, really good, and I put them in a deck and I mix them up with the original designs that the publisher sent me. I then reach out to over 100 entrepreneurs and business leaders who I know personally, DM them, send them an email, send them WhatsApp. And I ask them, can you please vote your top three book covers, right? And tell me why. I, I do a voting system. I aggregate all this data. The top 10, the book cover that the publisher had provided did not feature in the top 10. I then take this data informed and armed of what I think is not empirical evidence, obviously, because it's just a small sample, but there are two clear favorites. I go to my publisher and I say, look, here's what I did. Here's what I think we should go for. Here's why. And guess what happens? Oh, no, no. Like the the two people who work in the marketing team don't agree. So we're not going to go for that. And that, and the reason why I'm, and the reason why I'm using this example is that this is the kind of frustration, friction that you will encounter over and over again around the process, which is, and I'll, and I'll, and I'll say why, because as you can probably tell, I'm someone who's just my brain works differently. I then went over to different Waterstones, to um, Daunt Books, to different independent bookstores in, in London, and I showed them the book covers. And I said, which book would you stock? And then they would pick a cover. And that's where the the light bulb moment happened. Traditional publishers try and sell to distributors primarily, right? 
So they want books that they're going to want to order in stock. But I'm selling a book to the final consumer, to the business leader, to the entrepreneur. Mm. And their interests are going to be different. And so you're going to have a conflict of interest. And I'll finish with this point. Most publishing deals will ask you to write a 70 to 80,000 word manuscript. I don't know if that was your experience, but anything, yeah, anything roughly, around that? Yeah, roughly. Yeah. Do you know why? Go ahead. Tell us. So this is nuts. The reason why you got to write a 70 to 80,000 word book has got nothing to do with value per page that your reader is going to get, right? Most books, and I say this including from my book, and I'll be real here. You can read the first section of the book within two or three chapters. If you get the message, you can skip to part two where I tell you how to do it. The rest is I kind of dig deeper and deeper and deeper. Most nonfiction books, you get the message pretty quickly. You don't need 70,000 words to get the message across. The reason why they want you to write 70 to 80,000 words is because they want your book to have a thick enough ledge, a ledger when it's in the bookstore. So that yeah, you can the spine. Put the title on it. Yeah. The spine, yeah. that's it. That's the only reason. But guess how much percentage of people buy books, nonfiction in bookstores these days? Less than 14%. Yeah. So we're talking about a complete mismatch with the actual market, which is Amazon and online distributors and bookshop.org and all these kind of stores where the spine is irrelevant. Yeah. The thickness of the book is irrelevant. So and it was interesting. Years ago, I I I was in the United States and I walked into one of the first Amazon bookstores, like physical bookstores in America. It was in San Diego. Yeah. And when I walked in there, the first thing that I noticed immediately from walking through the door mm. was that there wasn't a single book spine anywhere on the shelves. All the shelves mm. were front cover loaded with mm. their books, every single one. Mm. And they still do it to this day, mm. actually. Um, and so it just goes to show you, I mean, Amazon knows what's going to shift yeah. the book and it's going to be the front cover. Yeah. Right. So the old adage of never judge a book by its cover is complete to that yeah. BS because that's exactly how we judge books. 100%. 100%. Nine times out of 10. Right? I look, and I, I'm, I'm happy now. We managed to finally come out to a final book cover. And actually, I like it now. You know, I've come to really enjoy it. But, you know, the, the other thing is, and again, I'll just share this point. When I shopped the original, so the original book idea I had was how to help entrepreneurs, especially introverted entrepreneurs, overcome imposter syndrome. That was the original pitch. It's not far off from the original mm -hmm, pitch. Mm -hmm, yep. What happened is that it, once I signed a contract, and for people who don't know, when you sign a book deal, not everyone will get an advance, but if you negotiate in advance, you get it in thirds. One third when you sign the contract, one third when you give the manuscript, one third when it's published, right? So I signed the deal, get my first uh, payment, and I get to work. And what I realized very quickly is that this isn't the book I want to write. Like, I don't want to, this is not really what I'm about. This is not really what I'm known for, blah, blah, blah. I'll skip to the, I'll skip to the juicy part. I realized that my entire life, the one thing, that constant theme that's always come in my life, that I'd always been passionate, fascinated by our stories, people's stories. As a kid, I used to sit around the, the dinner table when my grandparents, my French grandparents told stories about the Second World War, fighting during the resistance, when my great-grandfather was captured and brought to Germany, like, I was just fascinated by stories. And through my podcast, The Unconventionalist, like I, I just unpacked people's stories. And I thought, why aren't more entrepreneurs and business leaders sharing their story to inspire the world with a message? That's the book I want to write, right? When I started going. So I had to go back to have a really uncomfortable conversation with a publisher. Because if you're writing your own book, you can pivot. If you sign a book deal, it's a bit more complicated. Totally. But I'll give, yeah. yeah, but I'll give them credit, right? I'll give credit to my publisher. I had a great chat and I said, look, I'm willing to lose the book deal 
over because I know that this is the book I need to write. I don't want to write the other book. And because I, I, I already self-published a book before, which I wasn't proud of by the time it was published, I didn't want to do that again. And they trusted me. So I've got to give them credit for that. They trusted me. And I think the book is 10 times a better book than the original pitch I had. And, and I'm incredibly proud of it. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Well, I mean, I'm 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 glad that you've gone you, you've gone ahead and told everybody about what you went through. The cover thing was I was smiling while you were telling me about that because I had the exact same situation. I didn't go to the point of walking through bookstores with ones that I got designed, but I think I had eight or nine different book covers sent to me from the publisher of Virtual Freedom, and um, they were all horrific. They just belonged. You know, they belonged in, I can't remember exactly what I said to my wife when they came through, but it was just like, they belonged in like the 1989, yeah. you know, yeah, yeah. like like public speaking section of the library or something. They were just horrific. But, and it, but it's still, it's, and we're talking about major publishers, right? Yeah, major, yeah, yeah. We're talking about yeah. major publishers. My friends were getting published. They send me like, <laughs> they're proofs. I'm like, oh God, this is nuts. It's so crazy. Yeah, yeah, that's a it's it's bonkers. But yeah, I actually ended up. I didn't design the front cover of, the, of Virtual Freedom, but the uh, the multicolored kind of Web 2.0 icon filled illustration that you all see on the cover of the book, mm-hmm. I actually bought myself from a vector graphic designer uh, from one of the uh, one of the you know the stock websites out there. I think yeah. it cost me like sixty quid or whatever it was, and uh, sent that to the publisher. And I said, use that. Yeah. I don't care about the rest. Just use that. That says everything. Yeah. Uh, and and I will give them credit. They ended up using it, and and it's done just fine. No problem at all. All right. Let's quickly before we wrap up. Um. And this is the funny thing. Mark's like, yeah, I'll come on the show and talk about the book. What he didn't realize, oh, I wanted to talk about the actual book, not what's inside the book. So uh, let's do that for a few minutes first. Yeah. Um. Subtitle: to. How sharing your personal story can transform your business and change your life. I know that you've probably, and I, you know, in, in transparency all the way for you guys tuning in, I'm holding a copy of it right now. And it, and it is a great looking cover actually. Um, but with all that being said, I've not read a single word yet because mm. I have children and there was half term last week. So there you go. But I mean, just the, the, the ship, the ship premise of this, like how using a personal story can transform your business and your life. Like that's mm. youpreneur ship personified right there. Right. So mm. You've no doubt told stories in here mm. uh, of, of maybe your own life as well as other people that you've come into contact with. What are two or three of the stories that really stand out or two or three of the sections of the book that really stand out for you, Mark? So I think one of the first things I want to address is, again, taking you back. What happened was I launched my podcast, The Unconventional, in 2015. Yep. It won Best Interview Podcast Awards in 2020, I think, or 2021. and I sat across, I don't know how many entrepreneurs, business leaders, philanthropists, activists, authors, journalists, you name it, right? TV celebrities, et cetera. And something very clear became apparent to me. So one of them is that most people had this huge platform, big mission, big message, had a real knack for sharing their story in a really compelling way. Like often their origin story, a bit like Batman or Superman, like, you know, the story that kind of defines who we became and why we do what we do. Mm-hmm. The second thing I realized is that those who hadn't really unpacked their stories didn't actually see that their story was relevant, didn't really see why their story would have value, but I would unpack them live on the podcast. And then they'd be like, oh, it's the first time I've shared that. I was like, really? Like, that's an amazing story. Like, people need to hear about this. And then I would be at this 
weird ringside seat and the crossroad where I would get DMs and messages and emails from audience members saying, hey, I heard Chris's story or I heard, you know, Danielle, Danielle Laporte's story or whoever, right? The guy, the minimalist. And it really inspired me. I bought their books. I signed up to their newsletter. I, and I was like, wait a minute, this is crazy. There's this bridge here that there's a gap of why aren't more people sharing their stories and why aren't more people being honest about their personal, you know, wins and, and failures and the lessons learned from both. And so that was really the start of the question of the premise of the book. And I started interviewing and having conversations in terms of my research with entrepreneurs and business leaders, typically from six to seven figure founders of service businesses. And I found 10 obstacles. I'm not going to go through all of them, but there were pretty much 10 major kind of blockers, which I call them story blockers in the book, which I think is a really juicy a chapter of the book, where I kind of dive into each of the blockers and then I kind of give you a remedy of how to go about it. So I'll, I'll give you one example. One of the biggest obstacles I hear people tell me all the time is, um, I don't see how my story has value. Like Nobody cares. Who's going to mm -hmm. care about my story anyway, right? I don't have a Hollywood background story. I wasn't abused. I don't have trauma. Like, I just don't see it. So can I use you as an example for, for a second, Chris? All right. Yeah. Yeah. So can you tell me what was what is one of your favorite movies? I know it's hard to say the favorite, but what is one of your favorite movies? I mean, a film that will, you know, if I'm channel surfing in a hotel room and it comes on the screen, I can never ever flip to the next channel doesn't matter where the movie is at it could be right in the first minute or in the last five minutes i'm gonna sit and watch it goodfellas every goodfellas. time okay do you remember the first time you saw it uh yeah very clearly with my brother yeah yeah how did it what was it about it that you loved um the, i mean just the rawness of the storytelling it was just so good the character uh of henry hill and the way Ray Liotta played it so beautifully, like mm -hmm. just everything, just perfect acting personified. And Love I mean, it. Robert De Niro, how can you not yeah. like a Robert De Niro film? Right? <laughs> so how many, how many times would you say you've seen that film? All in, front to back, probably 30 times, 40 times, maybe. 40 times, cool. Yep. And you still enjoy it, right? You still, you still get transported when you see it. Cool. Every so time. now, I imagine, Chris, if I told you, right, I'm going to sit you in a room, you're going to get some water, you're going to get some whatever food is going to sustain you. But you're going to have to watch Goodfellas back to back, not once, not twice, not 10, but a hundred and a thousand times. What do you think are the odds of you still feeling connected, alive, excited about Goodfellas by the 20th, 30th, 40th, 50th, 100th time? Probably pretty slim if I'm being forced to watch. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. probably pretty slim. Either that or I'm going to I'm gonna turn into an actual gangster myself, <laughs> one or the other. <laughs> so the reality is it's the same thing with your story. You're so close to it. You've seen it so many times play over in your head that you've just lost completely interest or perspective. Sure. And that's called proximity bias. It's this idea that I explore in the book that you're so close to something that you don't see the value of it anymore. And so that's just one of them of the 10 blockers, right? The other the other ones are things like, I don't want to hurt anybody by sharing my story. Um, I don't know where to start. I don't have time, et cetera, et cetera. So that's, that's number one. The second thing I want to talk about, which I think would make the most sense for people listening, whether you buy the book or get to interact with me or follow me, I think this is hopefully going to be valuable. I think there are three, if I had to boil it down, there are three main reasons why I think owning and sharing your personal story in an authentic way can be really beneficial. Number one, I think the person you become as a result of unpacking and owning your story changes the way that you show up, changes the way you lead at home and at work. It also changes the way that you show up with others and how you communicate and how you translate your message. Number two, the people listening to your message suddenly feel less alone. 
And if you think about the work that we're doing, really it's about relationship and, and, and connecting with our audience. If you can't enroll and engage your audience when you're trying to share your message or what you're trying to sell, share, or it's going to be really hard to translate that into big business kind of metrics, right? So you need to get people to feel to, to help you feel seen, heard, and appreciated. That's how we operate. That's how our brains work when we connect. The third thing is that it's going to be better for your business because you're going to become more clear as you share your story. And as you share your story, your message will, will surface. So those are kind of three reasons that I found a lot of entrepreneurs. And I share stories like, for example, the best story I share in the book um, is Scott Harrison, the founder of Charity Water. I think he's one of my favorite examples. It's someone who openly talks on stage about the fact that he used to have like a drug addiction and a sex addiction and alcohol addiction and turn that into a multi-million dollar fundraising charity campaign, right? For like super vital, a super vital cause. And the other one is Jivon McCormick, who is the CEO of Scribe Media, who talks about his life of abuse, of neglect, of racism, of homelessness, and how he then turned that into becoming an award-winning CEO of a, of a media company, despite him not being able to write. And these stories are over and over and over again. They're around us all the time. And if you can figure out in a really short amount of time, right, whether you've got 30 seconds on a panel, 60 seconds when you're about to introduce yourself on stage, or a bit longer when you're long format podcast like today, learning how to tell your story well matters. It really does. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Mark, thank you. For coming on the show, spending so much time, uh, keeping it real, man, keeping it real in that publishing conversation. Um, for you guys tuning in, want to check out Mark and the book, it's glowinthedarkbook.com. Go check it out, pick it up at Amazon, but please don't all do it at the same time because we might break the internet for the second time with the book and we don't want that to happen. Um, Mark, all the best, man. Thanks again for coming on. Thanks, brother. All right. For you guys tuning in, We'll see you again next week with another episode of the show. Till then, take great care. Bye-bye for now. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of Youpreneur FM. We'll be back next week. But in the meantime, why not head over to our official website at youpreneur.com to access all our tools and resources essential to building, marketing, and monetizing a future-proof business based around your expertise. We'll see you next time.